Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience, can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Reshape Your Relationship to Money. I mean, we really can't have enough conversations about the energy around money. It's the thing that's always in the back of everybody's minds, right? I mean, we need money to survive, put a roof over our head, to thrive in different ways. And as much as in the spirituality space, we want to move away from, let's say, some of the darker sides of money, it's also something that we want to reshape and reformulate how we think about money, what our beliefs are around money, and how money can be utilized for the good. I mean, certainly there's lots of great things that are done with money to help move uh, everybody into a greater place here on the planet. And so we're going to talk about it. I loved this conversation with our guest today. Um, she's a beautiful woman and she has a great story. And I just found it so grounded um, in truth and authenticity. And, you know, sometimes things can uh, feel un unattainable or difficult. But my guest, Susie, today really has a way of grounding us in how to build wealth, especially as women, how to create things that are meaningful to us, and how to secure our financial future. So Susie Carter is with me today. She is a globally recognized profitability coach and inventor of the predictable success method. Her radical business strategies have helped thousands of entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve exponential growth and triple their profits. She and her business have been featured in the New York Times, the Associated Press, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and NBC News, just to name a few. Please help me welcome, with no further ado, Susie Carter. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. More importantly, thank you so much for doing this. We need more powerful women. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do, we do. Um, and I'm super excited to chat today about the topic of money. And we talk a lot about spirituality and living our truth and standing in our power. Um, but there's a funny thing when it comes to money, right? And especially in a spiritual conversation, there's like a, a weird relationship where, I don't know, we shouldn't talk about money <laughs> and we're so spiritual, it doesn't matter about money. Um, and so I want to break that down because I think that that's incorrect. And I think that that's not the right energy to put out there. And you have such a powerful story. So maybe we can start there to kind of like, where did your life begin? What were the first things like that you experienced around money? And maybe tell us how that started to shift for you. Yeah. So my relationship with 
money started, we have, uh, have a very large family. We have nine brothers and sisters, Bobby, Ronnie, Stevie, Terry, Joni, Shelley, Susie, Kelly, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My dad was in the military. My mom was a seamstress. So what we learned about money is there is none, don't ask, right? That was our relationship with money, which, and everywhere around us, that was the relationship. So I learned early on and my, you know, one of the gifts that my dad gave me, he said, Sue, you can have whatever you want. Just go get a job, go get a job and work hard. Right. So years later, I had to work on the work hard part, but that gave me a strong foundation of generating and creating what I wanted right now. Six girls. Now, I don't know if you can, re- do, you, do you have brothers and sisters? And I'm the total opposite. I was an only child. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you, if you have six sisters, everything is hand-me-downs. And when I mean everything, everything. So at, at 10 years old, I just wanted my own underwear. I'm just, oh. <laughs> just my own underwear. So, one of my first things that I did with the money that I got from mowing lawns was go buy five new pair of underwear and I hid them in my pillowcase because I didn't want my sisters to get up. <laughs> and so that was the reward, right? Is, oh, I could get these things for me and then hide them so nobody else gets them. <laughs> and then being in a large family, like we didn't have sweets or we didn't have candy that never came around. So Halloween, you would get candy. Well, I had learned that candy is a commodity, so money. So my brothers and sisters would gobble up their candy. Now, nine kids, think about Thanksgiving dinner every single night. That's how many dishes there were, right? That was meal prep every day. So candy was my bartering system to get more money, to get someone else to do my chores. So I could give two candy bars and you would do my dishes. I could give you, you know, a candy bar, you would vacuum for me. Five candy bars and you would fold the laundry, right? So (laughs) I learned the value of commerce, not consciously, it was totally unconscious to go, Oh, if I save this, I can use this as a tool. And so learning, like, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Now, that sounds like a great cliche, but that was really what I learned early on. If I wanted a bike, I went and got a job. I went and mowed lawns. I went and babysat. I went and cleaned windows. I went and did for the neighbors, not my family. They were like, that's just your job. And then you can go earn money. The work starts for me now, Shauna, in my life where when I'm not working, I'm like, well, well, what do I do? Yeah. Because that's such a strong belief. Yeah. Money comes from generational, right? Like, what did your parents say? What did your grandparents say? Right? What did your aunt say, uncles? You know, so inherently generational. It also comes from your ethnicity, right? There are certain communities that have high value on money and can make money, have a healthy conversation with that. Um, There's some cultures that credit's fine and they don't care about good credit, right? The American culture, we really value our credit, right? And so understanding, well, what is that conversation? And then people who have grown up in a spiritual world, right? You're supposed to give your gifts. You don't get paid for your gifts. And so people that are raised in a spiritual conversation or church conversation is, you know, money is the root of all evil. And it, it was never that. It was the love of money, right? There, there's so many different contexts that these beliefs come in that are inherited that aren't yours and they're not mine. They came from somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Then we have our community. Our community is our friends, our community. Like, what did you see growing up? Was there wealth all around you, consciously or unconsciously? The only way, the only thing I saw about wealth was on TV shows, right? I grew up in the Dallas, you know, Dallas was on the TV. Yes, me too, me too. Or soap operas, right? That's where I saw (laughs) 
wealth, like beauty and wealth. And I'm like, oh, I want that lifestyle, right? (laughs) Just making it up. And so that's community and looking at, oh, well, what does your community say about money? So I think the first thing we have to accept as uh, individuals is what do I want my beliefs to be? Don't inherit somebody else's. Don't inherit your dad's, your mom's, your grandma's or whoever's. (coughs) Pick your own and then choose your own and choose it wisely and go from there. That's a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how we're influenced by these things. These, even just the little comments or the way that you're, you know, the facial expression of your parent, you know, growing up around a conversation around money or the neighbor that has this or the neighbor that doesn't have that. I mean, all these little things are imprints that we are constantly taking in and learning. And Obviously, when we get to this stage in life, and if you're listening to this show, you're at the point where you're trying to like piece apart some of this stuff, like what's what's not mine and what is mine and what do I want to believe going forward? Why do you think in our culture, like there's so, I just feel like there's so much weird energy and stigma around money. Like, why do you think it is such, I mean, there's such a lack of pervasive, like feeling of lack for one. And feeling like everybody else has this or, you you know, like you said, in pop culture, you look at certain things and you go, oh, that's aspirational, but I can really have that. Why do you think that's set up in our culture? I'm here in the U.S. for sure. Yeah. So I think part of it is, again, the underlying belief. And there's still we're not talking about money. It's almost similar to we never talked about therapy right? Or getting help or trauma or past trauma. You know, if you look at that in the 80s, right? The 90s, 80s, that was still taboo. Money is the same way, yes. right? There's a taboo around it. It's rude. It's disrespectful. I remember a woman came into our office and she, she was supposed to be a money manager. And I said, well, what's your portfolio? How much money are you managing? What's your own personal portfolio? She's like, well, that's rude. I'm like, why is it rude? You want to sell me your product. You, I need to understand your wealth strategy. Is it working for you? If it's not working for you, I don't want to buy into it. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I think mean, I've always, I'm just a questioner. That's my, my eternal path is curiosity. And so, you know, I say things that most people won't say. And especially if I'm learning something, I want to understand, well, you know, Shana, how does that work for you? And what do we do about that? And what are your strategies? And I think we've learned to do it in so many other ways, right? Sex and money are still, sex is being a little bit more talked about. It's over being over um, exploited, but it's still that thing nobody talks about. Yeah. And everybody wants it, right? <laughs> everybody wants those Close. two things. Nobody's <laughs> going to talk about either one. And so I think part of it is in your own culture, like in your family culture, family dynamic, girlfriend circle, your intimate relationship is to have those common goals. Like what is our money conversation, right? In my um, life, I create a vision around my money. I create a strategic belief around my money. I create a premise around my money. I've done a lot of work around this so I could, because I was really good at making it because my dad said, Sue, you can have whatever you want, just work hard, right? And I'm like, okay, but then I would work hard. And we never talked about saving. We never talked about, so... I had to learn, oh, you can make a quarter of a million, but if you spend 251000 you're still broke, right? So it's looking at that belief system, and I got to kill myself in order to make good money, right? Like, oh, what was me? This was hard. Okay, why can't I create that and not kill myself? Let's try that one. Yeah. <laughs> that 
you know, the last half of my career has been not about killing myself and going, wait, this can be fun. This can be, this can be just as easy as some of the other things that I do in my life. Right. Is so I think it's shifting our own belief system and our mindset first, because I find that when you start talking about it, people want to talk about it. They love talking about it to me. Right. When I interview for my podcast, one of the questions is, what are your wealth strategies to hear what other people are doing? Right. And when did you learn to start talking about wealth? Because making money isn't wealth. Right. I thought if I made a million dollars, I'd be wealthy. No, that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> that means you grossed a million dollars. That didn't mean you made a million dollars. Right. And understanding that. And what are the things that you need to learn? I've been in this conversation. I met with my first financial advisor at 23. Right. She, I just happened to be in a networking group and she's like, Susie, you got to start now. And I'm like, I'm 23. You think you have the, you know, I can live forever and, you know, I'm invincible. But she's like, no, I just need you to be committed and diligent. And, you know, that saved me over the years. I borrowed money from those accounts, you know, to borrow from myself, to build my businesses, to buy homes, to, you know, leverage that asset. And it started with me having a conversation with another woman about money. And she was so direct. What I love, she was so straight with me. I'm like, well, I don't have money to invest. And she broke it down. She's like, girl, you do. How many times do you go out to eat? How many times are you eating? <laughs> right. Like she broke it down. I had way more money to invest than I even knew that I had invest. But it was so refreshing to go. I never looked at it that way, right? I was just excited to buy underwear. <laughs> You're like, I'm just out here buying underwear. I don't know about investing. But I got great underwear. <laughs> I love it. So, so if somebody's listening to this and they're like, but like, where do you even begin with this? Right. Like in your vantage point, if you can go back, like, where does it begin? Definitely having conversations, but like, is it sitting down? Like you said, you have a vision and you have, you know, different things you do around money. Is that the first step for people? Like, and then really talking about, okay, how much am I putting away each month? And what is my investment strategy? Where does it begin? So when it begins with as simple as your goals, what are my goals? What are my financial goals? How much money do I want to make? How much money do I want to save? What's going to have me feel prosperous? Because what's going to have you feel prosperous will be different than what has me feel prosperous, right? And as we get more seasoned... <laughs> That's a nice way to say we're getting old. I just want to say that. Yeah, yeah. You can't see us, but I'm seasoned, y'all. We are, we are seasoned. As you get more seasoned, you, you know, prosperity, wealth means something different than when you were young, right? I thought, you know, in my 20s, I'll just make 100 grand a year. And that's it's so cute when I hear entrepreneurs. I just want to make 100 grand a year. I'm like, do you know that's poverty level in Los Angeles and New York? <laughs> So that's not a lot of money anymore. A million dollars isn't a lot of money anymore, right? And so you have to go, well, what is that? What do I want? What's going to have me feel secure, right? And money, this is an interesting, I spent a lot of money on my therapy for this one little nugget. I just want to say it before I say it. <laughs> money is a masculine energy. And so I was great, Shana, at making money, but I was horrible at saving money. Because money was a masculine energy, so I would get it and repel it, get it and repel it, get it and repel it. I couldn't, I couldn't keep it. I would just spend it. And I, I was following a budget. I, I had to work on my mindset, right? There's a saying that your net worth will only go as high as your self-worth. Well, my self-worth was low. Mm -hmm. And so I, the creating abundance, the worthiness, I had to do a lot of work on that. And if money is masculine, that went to male energy, 
well, who in my life in this male energy was I not in alignment with? Now, mine was obvious. It was my dad. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go talk to my dad about money. He's like, you don't need to talk to him about money. You need to, you're trying to prove, you're trying to get his love. You're trying to get his attention. And it was all about proving I can be the best man. I could do this. I don't need anyone. I, all that was masculine energy. And so by healing that relationship, right, allowed me to start healing my money relationship. It allowed me to start planning and saving and being committed to that versus talking about it. Because you can talk about it and then the commitment is the action to do it, meaning don't spend it, right? The beauty of working with Suzanne, that was her name, Suzanne Latour, was she's like, we're going to put in this account and you can't touch it, Susie, <laughs> or you get big penalties. That was the only way that I could save, right? And the only way that I could use credit is back in the day, American Express, you used to have to pay that off every month. So it would make me think, if I'm going to charge $1,000, can I pay it off next month? Nope, I can't. So then you can't charge that, right? It made me so conscious of, well, why do I want that? Like really deciding, and it was to fill a void. It was to fill a hole in my heart. It was to fill some worthiness that if I had the right bag, if I had the right shoes, if I had the right look, if I had the right hair, if I had the right whatever, then I would be accepted. And so you have to understand what's underneath your desire for wealth before you can start building wealth. That's just juicy. Mm, that's so powerful. So I'm curious because I think there's a lot of ties between like people and their parents or some, you know, like caregiver role model in their life around money. And that feels really potent. Like, what did you discover with your dad or how did you start to like, once you started to like figure this out in therapy or whatever, you know, with a coach, whatever it was, um, what conversations did you have with your father or how did you kind of shift that dynamic or energy? So, uh, Barbara DeAngelis and, uh, the guy that wrote, uh, women are from Mars, men are from Venus. Uh, John Gray. John Gray. Thank you. They used to be married. So they both taught this exercise, which is called the love letter. Um, so Google it, it's called the love letter. It allowed me to process all my emotions around him without having to say to him. Because if I would have just went to him, I just would have thrown up on him, spewed on him. And realizing how, how I had all these expectations that weren't realistic, right, of what a parent should be, what a dad should be. Like we grew up with nine kids. What he was concerned about was our safety and our security, right? What he was concerned about, he's got six girls, is, you know, making sure they stayed out of trouble. The three boys making sure they stayed out of trouble, right? So his his whole life was around, I, I got to keep these people safe, right? And he did, right? We all grew up, nobody had drug problems, nobody had big, nobody murder, jail, none of that. My One of my sister works in a jail, but she didn't go to jail. <laughs> Good. It's important distinction. So important distinction, right? And so that was his his whole role in his family. And then you look at his dynamic, and he quit school in eighth grade and started paying his mom to help pay for the household. He had 13 brothers and sisters, right? Wow. So I look at his life, and it wasn't until I did a lot of therapy, girl. Let me just say, I have invested in my emotional well-being. Uh, to start seeing, like, oh, he was so successful compared to where he came from. But if you're just judging to judge, we, we grew up poor. And I don't mean the kind of poor 
that we didn't know we were poor, we knew we were the poor kids, right? <laughs> we had the poor kids. We were, we wore the hand-me-downs. We had the high water pants, right? We had the hand-me-down underwear. <laughs> so, like we knew we were the poor kids, but everybody in our community was that way. So it wasn't like we were the only ones. Not like we were picked on for that. Um, I was picked on because I had big lips as a white girl. So <laughs> they were like, who's your daddy? Those lips aren't yours. I'm like, no, really? They're my lips. <laughs> now they're fashionable. But I have a lot of trauma as a kid from these big they're, lips. And you know, it's so funny. I obviously have very little lips. So I'm like, oh my gosh, it'd be amazing to have big lips. You know, like in life, you just have all these opposite things, right? Yeah. Like I was, When I was little, I was like, I literally told, this is so off topic, but but just how we do this in our mind, I was so, I'm small. I'm like one at five foot, one and a half. Right. Yeah. And I reached this height like a million years ago. Right. So I just stopped growing at a certain point. And I told my mom, I go, I need to be taller. I was a dancer at the time. I go, I, and so I found, I mean, this is before the internet information on like growth hormone that you could get injected if you were like a certain age as a child. I don't even know how I found this. Like, I mean, cause right. we didn't have the internet. Right. So I, I told her, I made her take me to a doctor to talk to him about this. I said, it's, it's unacceptable that I should have to be five, one and a half, just because you and dad are short, right? Like, this is not my problem. Like I, I should be able to be taller. And so we went to the doctor and like, he made this whole story about how he could, you know, inject my joints and maybe I would be a few inches taller, but that there was a chance that I could get very sick and I could get leukemia. Like, come to find out this was all basically a thing between my mom and the doctor and like a story to basically appease me. Um, but I was so upset, right, about being short. Like, I just was like, no, I know I can grow. There must be a way and I will find it and I will make it happen. And so whatever we are dealt in life, right, it's like. There's someone out there, you know, probably very tall going, gosh, I would just love to, you know, be, I like short. to be shorter than men, right? Yes, yes. All the things, right? I love that story. That's great. Yeah. yeah so look at it. What I love is the tenacity to find it out even pre-internet days, right? Is to go, I need to figure this out. Totally. And that's money. You have to, there has to be the why you want to figure this wealth thing out. It's not taught traditionally. Right. I didn't learn it from now there's books, but back in the day I, I was in a situation. My picker was off girl. Let me just say, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go way back. My picker was off. My dad said with six <laughs> girls, go get a job, go get married. Right. Oh, so I met this man. Oh, he was an Adonis. He had big muscles. He was beautiful. He had a car and a checkbook and a job. <laughs> I must be a good husband. Right. So I married him. He was not a good husband. My picker was off, right? Knew nothing. Like our values weren't the same. We wanted different things. My family disowned me because he wasn't in my ethnic background. Like it was just awful. And so I got divorced. My, my youngest baby was six months old and my oldest daughter was 18 months old. You know, it's got to be bad when you're leaving that, that young, wow. but it was abusive. I was repeating the patterns of my mother, right? So it was verbally abusive, physically abusive. And that was, that was probably the best gift that I could have done for myself was leave that relationship. Now, the hardship was, you know, I had no child support, no alimony, and I had to learn how to provide for my family. So I had to learn this early on. It wasn't enough that, you know, I, I was a hairdresser back in the day. So I had to figure out this thing. How do I make money to provide for my children? My family had already disowned me. I couldn't go back to them and go, you were right. 
right? That would have not, that did not go over well. They didn't come to the birth of my children because they had disowned me. So I didn't have someone that I could say, can you help me? Right? So I had to figure it out myself. And so early on, if I didn't sell something, I didn't provide for my family, right? I couldn't pay my rent. I couldn't, you know, get groceries. I couldn't do what I needed to do. So that taught me the hustle, the hustle of creating business, the hustle of creating my own destiny. That was a blessing now, hard as hell back then, but it forced me to, one, never choose choose that, go down that path again, which usually we repeat the pattern, but I did not repeat the pattern. Thank you, Jesus. But it also had me look at finances differently to go, I never want to be in that situation again where I have to rely on somebody like that, right? And I stayed longer than I should have because I felt held hostage financially, like I can't do this myself, right? Which was not true, right? But I didn't have the kind of network I have now with ride or die girlfriends. I would go, girl, I got your back, ditch him, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and two small children, that's, you know. Huge. Yeah, right? huge. That out. And so I, I share that to say it doesn't matter where what your story is. You know, if, if you want to create something, you can create something. That's what I still love about our country. We might have some dysfunction going on, but the reality, we're still an environment where set your mind to it, set a goal, put a plan in place, and then start working that, right? Once you get more sophisticated, then you start looking at, well, what is your financial vision? The first thing you have to do is go back to what, what am I unconsciously believing around money, right? That it doesn't grow on trees, that money is evil, that, you know, wealth is only for these type of people. We all have these underlining beliefs that are so unconscious, you don't even realize. I deserve money. I deserve to be wealthy. I don't deserve money. I don't deserve to be wealthy. Whatever it is, you've got to get really clear excuse me, on what those are. And a lot of people associate money with being bad, right? People taking advantage of people. I look at money, it, it allows me to do more good. It allows me to provide for my children differently, my grandchildren differently, my colleagues, right? My community, my church, right? Wealth gives me the opportunity to provide. And so I think I've shifted all that in my own mindset and created a money mantra for myself. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you wrote a book called Power Your Profits, um, which I think is a really awesome way to start looking at not only what we're talking about now with like your mindset around money and things of that nature, but really getting into some of the the fundamentals of building a business. I think I think a lot of people, when you start shifting your conversation around money and maybe you're in a position where you start attracting more money into your life through either working for someone else or wanting to start your own business, like that's where there's a big learning curve in like how to put the pieces together. And there's various stages. I'm sure you, you know, you, what you were saying about working really hard, you know what I mean? And earning money. And then you get to a certain capacity where you're like, okay, I can't do everything. And I'm only going to be able to make X number of dollars. I'm going to have to rethink this or create systems or structures or things of that nature. I want to just touch on this for anybody that has a business or is thinking about starting a business. What are kind of, what are the mindset and the shifts that we need to have when we are in business or building a business, scaling a business? Why do people, what are the roadblocks that people run into that you see? I would say the first thing that I see 
nine times out of 10 is people refuse to put a plan in place. Like they don't want to write a business plan, right? Or if they wrote a business plan, it's in a computer in a drawer and you haven't looked at it since. Now we know from goal setting that you can write it down and it could come to fruition, but it works much better if you use it as a living, breathing document. So the first thing I say, before you spend dollar one on a business, put the plan together, right? You can do it in a weekend, right? The, the plan is for you to see, is this a viable business? And all businesses take money to make money. You're either going to bootstrap it, right? My first business is I bootstrap. That means every dollar in, 50 cents went to me, 50 cents went to the business, right? Or you're going to get a loan or use credit cards or borrow money from your retirement account or maybe take a home equity loan out of your home, right? Get a bank loan. Those are harder to get, right? So it's going to take some money. So how much money? I think we get we jump into business and go, okay, $50,000. Well, that $50,000 can be fast if you don't have a plan for that. And so you've got to put that in place. The second thing is you've got to put your financial plan in place. And what I've realized is over the years that people can either manage the dollar or they can manage the unit. And so my example of that is if you were to tell me, Susie, I need you to sell 100 grand each month, I would freak out and have to take a nap, right? But if you said you only need to sell 10 of these things, Oh, I can sell 10 of those things, right? It, it became now that I, that's chewable, but a hundred grand just overwhelmed me. And so I've created over the years, I'm not a CPA, I'm not an accountant. I hire those people out as well, but I created all these spreadsheets and formulas so I could understand as an entrepreneur, how do I hit my revenue goal? And then I would start sharing them and you would go, hey, can I have that? I'm like, okay, but it's my rogue spreadsheet. It's not... <laughs> it's not FDIC approved. It's Susie Carter's spreadsheet. They're like, I want it. I want it. I'm like, okay, I'll share that. And so my financial forecasting really takes in consideration, let's do units and dollars. Because I want us to understand the dollars, but I got to get you there by looking at what's going to be most comfortable for you. How many units do you need to sell? Now, when I do this with my clients, they're amazed at how easy it can be to hit seven figures. That's a million dollars. Like, why am I making this so hard? I'm like, I know, right? Why are we making it so hard? It doesn't have to be that hard. So in chapter eight of my book, Power Your Profits, the, the, uh, it's math is money, money is fun. Because nobody likes to do math, but everybody likes the benefit of money. So let's make it fun, right? Let's make it, money is fun. The freedom of money is fun. The, the things we can do, the choices I can have because I create it. Now, the third thing is you got to plan for profit. Now, I'll share one of my first businesses was a salon and spa. We were the top 1% in the nation, top 10% in the world. And we earned that right by the productivity we did per stylist, the average ticket we had in service sales and retail sales, the sales we did per square foot. We won awards in every single category except profitability. They weren't looking at profitability. And so I did a million dollars. We did $1.2 million the, that year in business and won all these accolades. And girl, do you know that I lost 70 grand that year? I lost 70 grand because I didn't plan for profit. I didn't know how to set my pricing. My pricing was, Shana, how much are you charging? I'm charging this. What are you charging? And then the business down the street, how much are you charging? How much are you charging? How much are you charging? Okay, I'll charge this. It has nothing to do with pricing. And so, but that we do, it's competitive analysis. You should look at that, right? Because you don't want to be so blown out of the water. But then if you put the plan in place before you start charging anything, you, you can understand, is this business actually going to be profit? 
Now, one of my coaches told me, Susie, profit is the value that you bring to the company. If you're not profitable, you as the business owner are not bringing value. I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah, that is. Had me look at it differently versus, oh, gross sales. I, I was an award winning. I got, all, I got all the awards. I could pull them out now, but that didn't mean shit when you look at it because we were bankrupt. Essentially, like I felt like a fraud once I really started digging in because your account will give you, <laughs> your account will give you a profit and loss. And there's two. One's accrual and one's cash. Well, the accrual one said I had a lot of money. But we haven't collected that money yet. And the other one said, I had no money. I'm like, I don't like that one. I would just want this one. <laughs> no, this is the one you need to follow. I'm like, then why are you giving me two? Because you need to know what you still, I don't want to know that because you said I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm just sharing because this did not come naturally for me. So I, I want you to know if I could do this, you could do it. It was something that I had to take on. Like, I want to understand. I didn't want to feel like a ding dong in these meetings and, you know, and not, understand business that you're doing that much money i built 10 businesses two 10 million dollar companies right i finally understand what does it take to get that result that we're all we're all desiring yeah it's so powerful and i think i mean knowledge is power like educating yourself especially for women too at this time like there's so many women-owned businesses and I'm a, always a fan of in my, when I'm coaching people, like I'm always like, before we go out there, run out there, right. And start something new or do something. We have to understand that that something is going to be in alignment with what we desire. Like, will it work? Right. Like, will the, will, will all the pieces of the puzzle come together so that that, because starting a business and having it not work or not be profitable as you just figure out, cause you have no plan. Like you're saying, you just start out there is no fun. <laughs> it's no, no well, fun. I'm crying. I'm crying to my partner saying I could work at McDonald's and make more money. We have a million dollar business and I could actually go get a job at McDonald's and make more money than I'm making here. And it's hard. Business can be hard. It's fun. I loved it. I loved pieces of it. And to go, Oh, there, there is a strategy that I'm missing. You know, luckily I've always been, a really good student. Now I have my PhD. I, I didn't know if that was in my bio. And so I've worked really hard on my education and my PhD is my a public high school diploma. <laughs> <laughs> but if I needed information, I would either hire a coach like you and go, okay, I need to learn this. I'm going to hire you. Or I'd go take a class so I can implement it tomorrow. So I have a plethora of education that you, you've got to have that hunger to go, I need to figure this out. That that year, regardless of how many accolades I got, I'm like, I feel like a fraud. I need to figure this out for me, not for my partners, not for my team, for me, for Susie to go, I don't want to be a fraud, right? I want to be able to be proud. I'm not proud of this accomplishment now, now that I know it's not really a business, right? It's a really expensive hobby that I was losing that game. And so I started digging into, I got to shift my mindset I've got to put a financial plan in place that works and creates a profitable business, right? And so I had to almost dismantle the whole thing and put it back together. Now, one of our issues was our pricing. And so my pricing was off by $5 on every single service. So $5 on every single service, somebody couldn't just come in and get a highlight, I'd lose $5, right? So if you look at it, you're losing per client, you know, $15, 
And so if I look at that $15 times 600 clients, right, in a month, that's $9,000, you know, that you're losing. And it's not one time, it's like all these little places you're losing money. Yeah. And so that difference times 12 is a huge number, right? Give or take $5 here or there. There's your profit. There's my profit, right? There's my paycheck. There's my, that's why, you know, luckily I was making great money, but half the money that I was making had to go back into the business just to keep the lights on. That's not fun, right? That's exhausting. And then you feel like you're old. Then you start resenting the business, resenting your team. My team was making more money than me and I'm working harder. I'm like, this is not fun. So in my book, Power Your Profits, I, I talk about all of it to go, look, I, I am here to tell you the truth because nobody told me this shit. Nobody said this is what it's going to be like. They're all selling rainbows and butterflies. And it can be rainbows and butterflies when you have the plan in place, when you have good strategic advisors around you, right? I've got three financial coaches. You know, I've got a health coach. That's my hormone therapist. Right. I've got a personal development coach. That's my therapist. Right. <laughs> so when you look at I've got coaches that can help me navigate the storm so that I'm not trying to do this by myself. I can call you and go, OK, girl, this is what I need help on. And when you're working with an expert, it doesn't take hours. It doesn't take months. We can look at something and go, oh, it's your pricing. Imagine if I would have done that day one and set my pricing off day one, how much more successful I would have been owning a business. Now, yeah. we turned it around pretty quickly because I don't like losing money, um, you know, but it, it does, did make a huge financial, one of those, one of those life lessons that really burnt in my head. <laughs> yeah. And a great lesson that what it looks like on the outside isn't always what's going on on the inside, right? Like a business can look like this bright, shiny thing, you know, and then some people look at that and go, oh my gosh, it must be all right. these things. And inside it might not be, right? It might not be. There's a lot of different ways. And I love that you, you're talking about the details, like getting down to that $5 a customer, because I yeah. feel like all of the information is in the details. Like when you right. get into the details, that's where you find money or you, you know, cut down expenses that are too high, like by shaving, you know, shaving yeah. little things off here and there. So, so powerful. I know you have some programs as well. Can you tell everybody where to find all your hub online and some yeah. of the programs that you guys have there? So it's very easy. It's my name, Susie Carter, S-U-S-I-E-C-A-R-D as in dinero or dollar, E-R. And so all my social media platforms, my website is my name, suzycarter.com. So we're really easy to find. If you go to our website, there's a business checklist, there's a wealth checklist, lots of free stuff to really experience if I'm the right person for you, right? If this is the right community for you. I say community because we build a world-class community. People come for the education and they stay for the people. We have the most amazing people in our tribe and in our community. So beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm so, I love sharing this and I immediately wanted to have you on the show to talk about this subject. And I also felt immediately when I connected with your energy that like, here's a person who has walked the walk, learned the lessons by doing, showing up again and again and again, you know, standing up for what you believe in. And even the things that feel like failures in the moment are lessons and you have grown and learned all of those beautiful lessons. And now you're giving them to other people. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's like, it's like when you were a kid and your mom would say, I wish I knew then what I knew now. And you're like, could, could you tell me? Yeah. <laughs> <And maybe laughs> 
for our ears, but I just want to say, look, if I would have known what I've known, so I'm committed to telling you and then help, helping you through it, right? I'm not just going to throw it out there for you to go, let's do this. Let's do this. So come join our campus. Come see if there's something for you. You know, we've got many ways that we can play just to serve you and support you in creating your wealth that can be your birthright, because I believe wealth is your birthright. It's not for some of us. It's for all of us. So beautiful. Thank you for coming on and sharing with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, lovely. This is Shauna Lee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Soul Frequency Show. If you got even one piece of valuable information, head over to Apple Podcasts and share a review with your takeaways. And follow us because we got lots more goodness to come. We are spreading the love far and wide. And you know where to find me over at IG at The Soul Frequency. Until the next time, love, here's to positive vibes and powerful awakenings.